Welcome to our NFP HR Technology Podcast. Join your host, Mark Ryder, as we give you the latest information, guidance, and direction to help you grow your success within this ever-changing industry. Hello and welcome to NFP's HR Technology Inaugural Podcast. Did I just say that? Podcast. NFP's Technology Podcast. Wow. That is certainly something we wouldn't have heard a few years ago. Um, and it feels like just yesterday that we were trying to convince employers that we work with to drop the paper enrollment forms and the faxing of those forms to the vendors for more efficient ways of handling that through Ben Admin technology. Actually, uh, that actually was a conversation I had just yesterday with a customer. So believe it or not, there are people that are still in that world, but obviously you are not of those folks. You are folks that are out there looking for better ways to use technology to enhance uh, your practice, uh, to enhance your company, and to get more out of your organization. You're looking for information. You're looking for guidance. You're looking for direction when it comes to HR technology, and that is exactly what we are here to provide you with uh, within this series of podcasts. I'm your host, Mark Ryder, and I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Vince Pinto and Steve Goldberg. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Let's dive right in, folks. Let's talk about HR technology. HR technology, HCM, HRIS, HOMS, all of acronyms that kind of mean the same thing to many people. ATS, Applicant Tracking Systems, TMS, Talent Management Suites, Ben Admin, Performance Management, Payroll, and the list goes on. Certainly, HR technology is a super active and ever-evolving market, arguably, it's more active today than at any other time in history. This activity with all the mergers and acquisitions and new entrants is obviously driven by market demand. So the question that we're going to pose to our uh, folks today is why? You know, why is there such a high demand by employers? Why now? I can tell you that five years ago, we weren't demanded as much as we are today. There was no demand for HR technology thought leadership. Uh, thank goodness for us that are in the industry that there is today, and uh, certainly uh, we are called upon on a daily basis to chat with employers of all size and to try to help create and give some some information about the knowledge and help uh, them put them in a better position when selecting technology for success. So, what has changed? What's fueling this demand? And that's the that's a topic we're going to talk about today. I'd like to throw a few things out there to kick off the conversation, uh, our thoughts, my thoughts here with an NFP's HR technology team as to why the demand is so, so high. Number one, I would suggest that there's been a change, a, a shift in the perception of human resources over the course of the last five or ten years, from administrative to strategic. There's been a realization by organizations that people matter and their people help drive productivity and the way in which they manage their people drive productivity. So no longer are systems built just for the HR department, but they're built for the employees of the organization. And the goal in being more strategic in getting more out of their employees is where the products are being positioned. And, and secondly, I would suggest that the workforce the age of the workforce and the shifting of the workforce from a population's perspective is impacting the need 
or the demand at an employee level for technology from the employer. You know, 10 plus years ago, employees did not, did not have access to technology as readily available as they do today in their personal lives. If you wanted to make a copy of something, you might have needed to take a trip to your mom or dad's place of work to jump on the copy machine and make those copies. And today we can pull out our iPhone and, and snap a picture in two seconds and, and upload it to every website out there if we chose to do so. So employees are demanding based on their personal use of technology and having grown up in a technology-based world, they're demanding that their employers uh, provide that type of technology as well. And in many cases, they're met with a, a host of papers, and it's something unlike they've, they've encountered. So I think, my opinion, uh, those are two of the things that have been some of the strongest drivers, but I'm real curious to get our panel's uh, take on this, and, and we're going to throw it over to Vince to kick off the conversation and get his thoughts around this uh, topic. Vince? Yeah, thanks, Mark. I mean, I, I think clearly some things have changed, right, as you mentioned, and fueling the demand for a product. There, number one, has to be a product for companies to be able to buy. Ten years ago, HRS was just for really big companies. They had a host uh, all the hardware uh, within their four walls, within the organization. They needed to have a large IT staff to manage this. They had to do the updates by themselves. So it, it was really for large companies who had entire departments dedicated to the people sauce of the world and these HRAS you know, products themselves. Now, with software as a service and the ability for the hosting of these systems to be in the cloud, it's brought the opportunity to all size companies to be able to get into this HRAS market. Even companies as small as 100 lives can now get functionality across the board that's offered you know, typically to, to much larger groups. And the way this has happened is it's happened through HRAS companies actually acquiring companies that have specific functionality capabilities in the marketplace. Uh, there was a run on companies buying applicant tracking software. Then there was a run on companies buying performance management software. And now we're starting to see some learning management software coming into play. Uh, so uh, through acquisition, we've been able to develop these products now, which brings them to the table for groups of all size, including the 100, the 250, and the 500, the mid mid-market companies now have the opportunity. The third thing that's fueled the demand and, and has and certainly changed is the, the social atmosphere. You touched on it in your opening about what people can do at home that they can't do at work now uh, from a technology standpoint, and that's really important. And the social aspect of HRS is absolutely catching up now. The ability to get feedback from employees throughout the workday, throughout the work week, to be able to identify at-risk employees and employees who are really good employees that they should, the company should be looking to promote. The, the ability to create groups of personality traits that will work together. It's just the beginning uh, of social. A lot of money was put into this area beginning three or so years ago, and now it's starting to come f to fruition. So I would say three keys there, the ability to host it in the cloud, uh, companies going out and actually acquiring specific software functionality to round out their products, 
and then this advent of the social aspect uh, within the technology itself. Thanks, Vince. Um, I noticed a bit there, and, and maybe it's just because it might have been your number four, but you didn't mention mobile capabilities. And, and Steve, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts on this are, and, and Vince, you're probably saying that was tied for three or two or one, but uh, I'm going to kick this over to Steve and see if he might be able to chime in a little bit about the mobile capabilities that exist in the market and any other thoughts he has of things that might have impacted uh, this demand that we're seeing. Sure. Thanks, Mark. I would say that mobile is basically table stakes these days, and in fact, almost all HR tech vendors tout a mobile-first product design approach which, of course, reflects the way the vast majority of all users of technology, HR and out of HR, uh, prefer to use their systems and their technology tools. Mobile is one of the cornerstones of a consumer-like, think of Amazon.com or Zappos, user experience. The other key elements of a consumer-like user experience include things like it's really intuitive, it's visual, phone taps, not mouse clicks, personalization. It's a huge theme these days. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about the system understanding your tendencies and the info you need, et cetera. This is what the consumer-like user experience is all about. And also, when I think about mobile, I'll circle back to your initial intro comments, Mark, because you talked about, I guess I would distill it down into two themes, ownership and access. What I mean by that is, Ownership, in this case, relates to the responsibility for people management, workforce management, talent management, managing people for competitive advantage within an organization. Who owns that set of responsibilities? Clearly, the HR department doesn't own it. So there's really been a shift in perspectives around that. As far as access, that comes back to mobile as well. People prefer to access systems, leverage systems, interact with technology tools using mobile. It's just so much more convenient. So mobile is really sitting in between, if you will, the ownership principle and the access principle. I want to come back to something uh, Vince was talking about, cloud migration. I totally agree that cloud arguably is the number one, let's say, theme that has become really, really dominant out there in the HR tech landscape. But I, I want to kind of throw a little curve at it. Uh, Vince talked about hosting. Hosting is just one flavor, but there are differences to note between hosting and SaaS. S-A-A-S stands for Software as a Service. In a hosted solution model, the customer may still actually own the source code, but they are using an external or third-party server infrastructure, like Vince said. And the source code or app might be heavily customized. In a SaaS delivery model, however, the customer is essentially renting use of the software and the infrastructure. And here's the key point. All customers are typically using the same version and instance of the software. Second reason why I think cloud has become the dominant way that these solutions are delivered and used relates to TCO, total cost of ownership. It's much more predictable. With the exception of some upfront deployment costs, the costs are also spread out over the subscription period. It might be three years, five years, whatever the contract is. Finally, with respect to cloud and migration to the cloud, I'll mention a subtle but important benefit that customers can actually participate in a customer community, a customer community of best practice sharing when everyone is using the same base product, organizations that 
leverage lessons learned from other companies that have deployed the same solutions tend to be more successful in their rollouts. Do that, emphasize change management, and you're perhaps halfway home. Good stuff. Good stuff, gentlemen. I, I guess the question I have... Mark, uh, if I can to, jump in real quick, I'm sorry. I, I wanted yeah, to, please. to uh, address the mobile. For me, you, you talked about that being one of the, the drivers and fueling the demand uh, as well. I completely agree. The one thing I wanted to mention that mobile has done for us uh, in this uh, consultation role is taking away the the uh, thought that all my employees don't have access to the internet, or my employees aren't don't have access to a computer. Uh, now, with the mobile capabilities and mobile phones in everyone's hands, uh, that argument is pretty much gone by the wayside. So, for me, that's what has changed. What that's what fueled the demand uh, from a mobile standpoint. Whereas we have access to everything at our fingertips, it's taken away that argument that, that companies can't utilize anymore. That my employees aren't going to use the Internet or they don't have access to it. But I just wanted to throw that in. I appreciate you allowing me to jump back in. Yeah, no, I mean, because, that's... you know, there's, there's one more nuance to this, and there is a difference between accessing the Internet on your phone, which uh, you could say is mobile access, but that's different than a mobile app. A mobile app was designed specifically for the phone. Let's remember that. Right, and but remember, mobile apps were you know, very popular initially, and then everybody went away from them because they weren't sure how many devices they were going to be. So they relied on optimization is the, the quote-unquote word, which allows any screen on any phone to look normal if you access uh, the software through a mobile device. Now, Steve, I agree, it's gone back to, we're starting to see the emphasis go back to the traditional app, since it seems like it's only now the Android and the the iPhone that need to be engaged. We're seeing a, another shift back to that traditional app, which I think is much better functionality uh, when you can utilize something uh, within uh, the app itself. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly uh, you know heard that argument a number of times with folks that are trying to uh, you know, I guess they have reasons why they haven't invested in technology, and, and it comes back to access to that technology. And certainly uh, the mobile uh, capabilities, be it uh, an app or uh, mobily optimized systems, has certainly helped to, we'll say, put the kibosh on that argument uh, with many employers. And you're talking about, you know, our employers internally and the battle that many of our, maybe many of the folks on, in the audience uh, have with inter- internally, we'll say, when trying to justify the purchase of an HCM platform. Is there, and I know earlier on, Vince, you talked about systems really being developed for sizes of all organizations, but I'm wondering if you feel as if there's a certain size organization <clears throat> where some of the arguments that, that we might make on why the system will pay for itself through a return on investment of making employees product, product, more productive. Is there, are there any uh, really size employers that you would say don't fall into that category, or is it really not about size? It's more, yeah, more about the employer. I, I think that size comes in you know, to market segments, right? Different size companies will access different software. Uh, you, you've got 
you know, I talk to companies in that 100 to 250, 100 to 300 range, something in there, and tell them that there hasn't really been a technology specifically built for them. No one's addressed that particular market yet. Um, you've got payroll companies that are jumping up and bringing additional functionality to the table to address that market. And then you've got some larger HRIS vendors trying to position a message or position their product to come down to that size and make it accessible, make it affordable, which they're struggling to do a little bit, but they're finding a way to, to bring that down to those folks. So there are some choices, but it's a little bit more difficult in that 100 to 250. Uh, really, it comes down to, you know, what's needed, what are the, you know, the absolute needs of those clients at that size. You know, 150 employee company doesn't hire that many people during the course of the year if they have 20% turnover, it's 30 people. So are they looking for applicant tracking functionality that's, that's you know, optimized? Probably not. To hire 30 people a year, you're probably in that 150 range looking for strong core. Not that you're not looking for strong core in larger companies, but it's the driver. You get into a 1,000 employee group that's got 25% turnover. Now you're hiring several hundred people a year. There needs to be some organization. You have different applications for different states, different applications for different jobs. It needs to be more complex. So the drivers can change through different size companies. And, and that's what we determine through a discovery process. It's very important that you understand the organization that we're helping through with this project in terms of trying to match them up with the proper technology. Certainly. And I, I mean, Steve, I'm, I'm wondering, I know that many a time when we, when we sit uh, at the table with a uh, potential customer, uh, you do some uh, napkin math for them in helping them to quickly determine I guess the uh, the ROI of a system and, and how they can use a system to drive uh, productivity of their workforce. Could you take our our audience through a little bit of that uh, you know, napkin math to to add to Vince? So certainly, it's about fit uh, of the organization, and that discovery needs to be done, and you need to make sure that the product's going to 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 match your needs. But when it does come down to the finances, what 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 are people looking at? Yeah, thanks for uh, framing it that way. Uh, if you just bear with me for 30 seconds, I'll get to the napkin math, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't state this point, which I, I state with a lot of conviction here as a former HR practitioner. The ability to link pay to performance to improve employee engagement and productivity to identify where on-demand learning is going to have a big payoff. Yes, while I agree with Vince that if you're only going to hire 20 or 30 people, yeah, so what if you hire 10 A players versus 5 A players? Is it a big difference? Probably not a significant difference. It might be noticeable depending on what their jobs are. But some of those other capabilities that I just enumerated, uh, I believe are as relevant to an organization of 100 or 200 or 300 as they are to a much larger organization. And as far as the napkin math is concerned, you know, let's take some numbers. Uh, even a 100-employee organization, let's say their average revenue per employee is $80,000. So that means they're generating $8 million. If you ratchet up productivity of that organization by just five, a measly 5%, you've generated what? You've generated 400000 extra in revenue. 
by going up 5% on a 100-employee company. So those numbers obviously get more compelling as you go up, both in terms of organization size and the size of the uptick in productivity. And how do you achieve the uptick in productivity by using HR tech? It's a myriad of ways, really allowing managers to manage people in the most proactive and effective manner, knowing what they cost, knowing what they're capabilities are, their skills, the best ways to deploy them, what makes them tick in terms of their engagement and their drive and and retaining them as assets in the organization. And then you get into learning and development and career pathing and everything else. All of those play into uh, this notion of upticks in productivity. And HR technology will definitely play a part in assisting organizations to achieve those sort of benefits. So what I'm hearing from both of you is it's, it's, rel- it's all relative to the organization, be it a financial analysis of increasing productivity even slightly that can drive a business case. It's the need and understanding from the stakeholders where the organization is and where they want to be and, and the buy-in of that organization, organization or the readiness of that organization to take the steps forward that really drive the need for the technology as opposed to suggesting it's segmented for small group, mid-group, or a large market business. And, and Mark, I think I mentioned, you know, to you prior that, you know, sometimes in the discovery phase uh, of uh, helping companies find an HRS, we've got finance in the room, we've got HR in the room, and we've got uh, payroll uh, for the first time sitting together and discussing what their priorities are. So uh, I, I keep harpening back to doing the proper discovery and really understanding, getting those stakeholders in the room, as you mentioned, and making sure you hear from all of them and that the other stakeholders hear from them as to what those priorities are. Well, it sounds like a, a topic for the future a future podcast will be steps to take uh, to uh, develop a readiness plan and to make sure you're ready to go, and then when you're vetting a system, what, what steps you need to take to make sure you're picking the right solution. So maybe we can convince you to come back on a future call and, and outline those steps for our, for our audience as well. Before we, uh, before we sign off here, I want to take us to the next step, and I want to, I guess, put a little teaser out there for the audience of some future podcasts that we're going to be uh, putting out there uh, that really focus a little bit more on what's coming down the road, what's on the horizon from a systems development perspective. When looking at potential platforms, what should our audience really be looking for on the roadmap or maybe in a beta environment at the current stage that will show that their system that they're going to be purchasing is actually one that uh, is in it for the long haul, that's committed, that is investing in the right places. What, what do you think the functionality is going to look, say, five years from now? And we're talking today about mobile being table stakes, and we've talked about a couple other things. What, where's the market going, and what should be yeah. so our customers be concerned about? Yeah, for me, uh, I, I think it's around a lot of succession planning, and that involves compensation planning within the tools. I think that's going to be a large driver going forward. Uh, learning management systems being incorporated in. These are training capabilities, the scheduling of training, the bringing in of the um, the classes that need to be taken, the certifications, uh, and then the social aspect, which both Steve and I have, have spoken pretty extensively on, uh, will continue to develop. As that workforce now comes into these companies, uh, this social aspect will be the driver 
uh, going forward in the future. And Mark, I'll, I'll mention two, and I'll call them themes. Personally, I, I like to avoid using uh, phrases like feature functionality because in this age of SaaS, software companies, HR software companies are rolling out a new release much more frequently. So if you're using a feature functionality checklist and you're going to disqualify vendors for missing five of your key features or requirements that you had, you're, you're really shortchanging yourself because odds are within three to six months they may have that feature. So I, I would say focus on capabilities and themes. And really, there were two that come to mind for me that are still in the early stage of, of most organizations adopting and using them, but you have to think three to five years down the road when you kind of marry one of these vendors. Uh, you don't want to go through a selection process every year, so I'll, I'll call it a marriage. But, but there are two themes. Uh, one is predictive capabilities, and to be more specific, prescriptive, prescriptive capabilities. And that's where the system is not just telling you that turnover may go up in a certain area, but it's telling you what to do about it. I know that sounds kind of Star Wars-like, but there are systems that do this now, or it tells you that compliance uh, is at risk of a certain type of compliance, maybe OSHA safety, maybe sexual harassment, whatever, and prescribing actions to take. The second uh, theme I'll mention is one that makes a lot of people uneasy, makes me a little uneasy, and probably Mark and Vince too, but it but frankly, the benefits for organizations are likely going to keep increasing, and they're going to be too compelling to ignore. What am I talking about? AI, artificial intelligence, RPA, robotic process automation, cognitive computing. Simply put, systems that mimic the way human staff would approach a task, up to and including self-learning. And inherent in this is the ability to bring together and analyze data from disparate sources within the organization. Um, and actually answer questions that come in, questions that come into a payroll department. I started last Wednesday. When's my first check? Uh, my wife just gave birth. Uh, can I get a uh, form immediately to, uh, to process a life event change? These are routine, predictable questions. They're common, and we're going to see bots answering these questions with increasing regularity. Uh, I actually, I'll end, I'll end on this kind of humorous tweet that I saw the other day. Three jobs of the future people who are told what to do by bots, bots that are told what to do by people, and bot repair people. So I'll, I'll leave you with that, hopefully, humorous note. Wow. Good stuff, Stephen. Yeah, that's, that's funny. It actually, to end. Yeah, interesting enough, I just had a pop-up on my phone, a bot that came up and told me that uh, we've gone on too long, and it's time to, send, uh, to sign off here. The people are done <laughs> listening to us. So uh, we do appreciate everyone's time. Vince, Steve. Thank you, as always, for your thoughts and your comments. A lot of great information shared today, and hopefully I can convince you to join us again in the future. Knowing the two of you, I know you have a lot more to say. Thanks, everybody. 